You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 167. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. We have another seven. We have another seven in the show. If you take 16, if you add 7, you get 23. And 2 times 3 is 6. And there's a bunch of 3s in there too, isn't there? <laughs> so I just love it whenever these shows line up and they give me a bunch of 3s and 7s. and It just makes me super happy. And speaking of uh, things that are divisible by 3, I just turned 46. Now, I did not think I was going to make 46. Um, And I do also just mesmerize myself whenever I think about all the things that I have accomplished since my 40th birthday, which was uh, just a disgusting hot mess of drunkenness, the usual Jesse nonsense. And then also... Uh, Facebook sent me a nice, cool memory, and not all of these memories that Facebook likes to throw our way are delicious, are they not? Um, can I get a shout-out for anybody who has gotten a, a memory that they're like, mm, thanks. <laughs> Did not want to know that at five years ago I posted that on my timeline. And uh, this one certainly was, and it was the uh, 41st birthday when I announced to Facebook land and to the world that I had become sober and that I had just hit my sixth month, January to February to March to April, May, June, fifth month. And so um, I was super pumped. And I remember walking along the beach in Santa Monica uh, back in Los Angeles where I used to live and just how amazing of an experience that was to tell people because most no, nobody from Ball State, University of Florida, I had not told many people at all. Only really those who were in very, very, very close contact with me in Los Angeles knew because I wanted some time under my belt. I wanted, I didn't want it to be like day one, hey world, I'm sober, and you know, have people be like, we'll see how long that lasts, we've heard that before, Jesse, and certainly, I had done three months, six months, nine months, hell, I'd done a year um, sober before, and it was sober, it was not in recovery, it was absolutely getting sober, putting no effort at all into feeling, uh, feeling my feelings, figuring out where the trauma came from, unearthing it, and healing it, there was very little effort into that if any at all. A lot of times it was just like going to the gym and taking up running and getting good grades, but not really doing anything that actually got me into the recovery aspect of it. Unlike what I do now, obviously. And so I say that, um, just as a little sidebar is that for some of you all who are busting your butt and you get three, six, nine, 12, 18, whatever months, and then you have a relapse, something goes on. Just realize that, you know, whether it's a relapse where you were really working your way through your steps or your recovery or your four truths or whatever it was, or if it was just white knuckling sobriety that, you know, you are gaining experience in what your life is going to be like when you finally are able to say no more no mas. And there are absolutely still going to be times in your life because I have them. So I have to assume I'm not the only one who sees somebody drinking, who sees somebody, you know, doing that old thing that I used to do and, and then thinking, huh, I wonder what my life could be like if I was able to still do that, if I was able to incorporate that in. 
And then I play it through to the credits and realize that I don't have that in me to ever be a one beer drinker. It's just the way that it is. I broke that seal. I rung that bell. Now I am me. And I embrace me. Also realizing that whatever I thought I was experiencing by being intoxicated was never really what I thought it was when I now that I can step back and look at it through clear eyes and a clear heart. And I say some of this having just experienced one of these moments last night. I spent my uh, my 46th birthday was Wednesday and uh, had a great day there, went and worked out, got my 10,000 steps, made a lot of phone calls, had a really awesome dinner with my girlfriend at Bonefish which is a restaurant that I opened up in Ocala and then ultimately ended up working for the one in Gainesville where I went to school. So I, you know, for, I I think it was close to five years. Maybe it was only four. Anyways, not important how many years I ultimately worked for this company, but I worked for them long enough. Was, you know, one of their best head waiters, really did an amazing job at that. And I loved Bonefish then. And they have one here in Huntsville. And I thought, well, let's go back and let's have a little blast from the past. And let's see what eating there will be like as someone who doesn't work there anymore. Because <laughs> the last time I ate there was literally my last shift. And then I left Gainesville like five days later and I've never eaten there again. And it was amazing. I had a great time. Loved it all. The service was whatever the service was. The food was whatever the food was. Was it as amazing as I had hoped? It was what it was. Um, I still walked away with a great memory. Now I'm rambling about bonefish when I should be telling you about Black Crows last night. Now I went to see the Black Crows, who played at the Orion Amphitheater here in Huntsville. First and foremost, I can't believe that the Orion, that holds like 8,000 seats, was able to book the Black Crows who I consider to be one of just the best rock bands that came from my teenage years. Just love the Black Crows up and down the street. Second, was amazed it didn't sell out. Third, my first show back from the pandemic when they started doing live music again in Los Angeles was the Black Crows doing the Shake Your Money Maker tour at the Forum. So I got to see them do this like a year and a half ago and then happened to be in Huntsville, living here now, and they come back through with the same concert. Different set list, but uh, at least at the end, the whole point of the tour is to do the Shake Your Money Maker album from first song to the last song in order. And I love that album. And if you really want to listen to a song that I find to be very touching, that makes me think about my drinking, go and listen to a song called Seeing Things on the Shake Your Money Maker album by the Black Crows. And he clearly, or at least from my perspective of the lyrics, is talking about a female. I just replace um, the female, that protagonist, that he could be talking about in the song with alcohol. And so I, I, when I hear that song, I think about how many things that I started to see for the first time when I released alcohol, when I broke up with alcohol. And so to hear that song live again, it was so touching. And it just, I mean, even now I'm giving shivers. It was so moving. And as much as my life has changed over these last five years and five months and, and four days now of sobriety, I still am enthused by the being sober. I'm still very enthusiastic about my recovery. There's so much about this life that is so easy to embrace when I commit to knowing that 
no longer any time in the future will I be intoxicated. And yes, there are certainly times where I see people, especially last night, you know, getting all giggly and acting the fool and just sort of just being a little bit more loose. And I'm like, man, am I too rigid? Am I too uptight? Am I always in my head? Can I just what can I do to just sort of cut loose and, and just act nuts? And then seeing things will come on or thick and thin or twice as hard. I'll start to play. And next thing I know, I'm up out of my seat and I'm jumping around and I'm dancing and I'm, I'm laughing and I'm just throwing my hands up in the air. And I do this Grateful Dead type dance thing that's, to me, is like a mixture of what Mick Jagger and Chris Robinson from the Black Crows and just sort of like this hip thing and these hands moving around. And I got this whole way of dancing that I picked up at the Dead and Fish shows I used to go to when I was in my 20s that I still enjoy now. And of course, I raved for like half a decade. So I've got some of that in there too. And it was just a blast. And then I realized the only thing making me rigid or uptight or in my head all the time is just me doing that. And I could easily just act fun, just be fun. And to hear the Black Crows last night, it was majestic and it was amazing. And so I definitely feel like I have rambled now about nine minutes about all of this stuff. But perhaps if there was a point at all to this, it's that I don't see the world the way that it is. I see the world the way that I am. And if I think that I'm rigid, if I think that I'm in my head too much, if I think that I'm too uptight, then that's what I'm going to notice. When I decide to see myself being fun, being lighthearted, being carefree, then that's the way that I will experience my world. I am not my thoughts. I am the viewer of my thoughts. I don't need to connect to them. I, I can simply acknowledge them and say, okay, that's a thought I'm having. That's, it doesn't, I don't have to take that thought as fact. I don't have to take that thought on as this is exactly how life really is. It's just a thought. We have 50,000 of them a day, and so many of them aren't even real. They're not even real, real, tangible things happening in our lives. I cannot tell you guys how many times I get myself worked up about a scenario that's not even happening. It's not even freaking happening. You are not your thoughts. You can be the viewer of your thoughts. In fact, you already are the viewer of your thoughts. You only become the person immersed in your thoughts when you decide to do that, when you decide to continue to spiral and ruminate on something that's going on inside of your head instead of actually just being in your body, being in the world that's around you. It's something that we're going to dive into more. And so this is what we're going to talk about today, right? This is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm super pumped. Um, I'm in my new house with my girlfriend here in Huntsville. Uh, I've got a window full of forest to look at right now. I am watching this squirrel. Um, I know one of, I've uh, had a really awesome conversation with one of the listeners before. She said her and her son call it, uh, squirreling whenever I jump from topic to topic and I sort of just start going all over the place because of the dogging up. He's squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Well, now I have a humongous window of nothing but forest and there are lots of squirrels out there. And right now there is one just going at the ground looking for food. And it is just absolutely an amazing view considering for years I lived in Hollywood and uh, my view outside my window was a uh, basketball court and baseball diamond with a tent city along the street and cars by the droves driving by at all hours of the day. 
And so I absolutely love this life that I'm creating for myself. There are certainly things that I'm working on uh, up-leveling, but the world is exactly the way that I'm creating it now. And the way I choose to see it is the way that I will experience it. And the other day, I'm co-teaching an NLP class with one of my favorite instructors uh, that I've worked with within the NLP world. She also came from the same school that I did. And she's the one who said that you don't see the world the way that it is. You see the world the way that you are. And um, I just immediately took that while she was teaching this certain part of the class that I was co-teaching with her. And I immediately just came up with a top 10 list of things that it's like that, that saying, you don't see the world the way that it is. You see the world the way that you are. And my brain just came up with these 10. It was like my hands were moving like as of the divineness inside of me was saying, type these words and make it into a podcast. And so that's what we're going to do. So in honor of me turning 46, and we are going to discuss 10 things that I popped up in the top of my head when I heard that you don't see the world the way that it is. You see it the way you are. You don't see your sobriety or recovery the way that it is. You see your sobriety or recovery the way that you are. If you're if you're white knuckling it and you think it's miserable, that's that that's what you are in that moment. If you could switch that and you could create something amazing and exciting and divine in that moment, you would then see your experience as that. And again, because emotions are fleeting, you know, good and bad, right and wrong, desirable, undesirable, they're coming in at you like like you're standing in the middle of an emotional tornado. Which I know for some of us, that's what it can feel like to be in sobriety and recovery. But I can assure you that even for those people who are not in sobriety and recovery, it, their life can also be an emotional tornado. They're having the same 50,000 thoughts. They're not having the same f- thoughts, but they're having the same num- numerical value of about 50,000 thoughts a day. And those thoughts come with their own emotion attached. And it might be a lot of the same emotions, but it's emotions nonetheless. So if you have 50,000 thoughts a day and the 50,000 emotions are attached to those 50,000 thoughts, we're all sort of feeling like we're in this emotional tornado. But you aren't your thoughts. You are the viewer of your thoughts. And so we're going to go over this ten, top 10 list. And by no means is this a complete list. This is just what I came up with in that moment. I've reviewed it since and thought this is exactly what the podcast is supposed to be about. And so that's what we're going to discuss today. Number one, you give up what you want most for what you want now. Has people who are going through substance use disorders and, and working our way through that, we have impulse control issues. And we are giving up what we want most for what we want now. When you are sitting here and you're telling me in messages or you're telling me in emails that you want to be sober, you want to be sober, you want a new life, you want a new life, you're in that contemplation stage. You're contemplating what a new life can be like. And you're also working on the preparation for it. How am I going to prepare for what sober life could be? What books do I need to read or what podcast do I need to listen to? Or how many times can I text Jesse about this? Right, you're doing your things. You're, you're, you're in that pre-contemplation preparation stage. And whenever you go back to your previous behavior, you're giving up what you want most for what you want now. You want to mute your emotions. You don't want to handle your trauma. You want to be able to forget about your crap day. You want to be able to forget about the bad experience you had at the home. So you, you leave the family behind and you go to the watering hole and you get yourself sloppy. You're giving up what you want most for what you want now. Ask yourself, where in my life is my impulse control 
causing me to derail myself from what I want most for what I want now. Number two is if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. And we've discussed this uh, on previous episodes. I'm pretty sure I turned it into a meme or a video or something on one of the social media channels and got a lot of love for it. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. So if you're giving up what you want most for what you want now, right, then what you're doing is you're not sacrificing for what you want the most. You're, you're settling for what you want now. So what you want the most becomes what you sacrifice. So instead of you know sacrificing some um, some sweat and going out and, and, and you know getting a little jog or some steps or, or pumping some iron or go working in your yard or going outside and just getting out of your mind and getting into your body and pushing yourself even just for a moment physically where you feel your blood pump or you feel sweat pouring down your face and you're like, ah, Jesse, that sounds like a lot of work. I'll just sit here on the couch and just mindly flip through channels on YouTube TV. You're giving up what you want most a healthy physique or a better mental state about your body or confidence in yourself. You're giving up what you want most for what you want now. And what you want now may not be to sweat. It may not be to work hard. It may not be to put in effort. So you'll just keep pushing those buttons on the remote, keep scrolling on social media, not actually accomplishing what it is that you want in life. I beg of you, start working on that. Ask yourself, what is it do I really want most? And what is something I could do right now for one minute to start motivating myself toward that goal and giving myself some momentum? I had two different clients get a hold of me at the turn of the year. Uh, One of them is actually in the tribe, so he's more of a tribal founder and, and a great friend. And one of them, they both had sessions with me, and they both wanted to get their physical body and their leadership skills uh, up-leveled. They wanted to get some shifts going on in their life. One comes to me and says, I'm going to start walking 10,000 steps. I'm going to get on my exercise bike. I'm going to get on the rower. I'm going to start eating keto. I'm going to cut my fat. I'm going to cut out the drinking. I'm going to cut out all these things. And and he wasn't somebody from the From Sobriety Recovery crowd. He was just an executive in my leadership course. And... All these things, I'm like, man, that's a whole lot of stuff. I was like, what's something you could just do today for a minute, for five minutes? Just one of those things that you could do in order to get yourself some momentum. And then we can start adding more things on as you start to get more habituated to just one of them. This was somebody who didn't even walk 2,000 steps a day telling me he was going to start running 10,000 steps and doing a rower and riding his bicycle and all these other things. So he does all these. I ask him a bunch of questions. Ultimately, he comes out like, look, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to rock it out. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to tell you about my success. I'm like, awesome. You go and keep me up to date. The other one calls me up, have a very similar conversation. But when it's all said and done, we come to an agreement that for one minute, for one minute today, he's going to do something physically active that's going to build up his confidence, get some momentum going, and as he starts to build up the momentum, one minute at a day, one minute at a time, I'm going to start adding more things, going to start creating different habits, going to start creating a different mindset. One minute a day, something super simple, one minute. I even remember the first couple text messages I got from him about like, hey, I literally did this for one minute. 
I think one of them was like doing bicep curls with this child, like just, you know, like kid grabs a hold of his arm and he would just like bicep curls. So the kid was laughing, having a great time, uh, enjoying the heck out of it. At the same time, he was getting a little exercise in, go outside and like do some jump rope or some jumping jacks or do a little jogging. I don't remember everything that he was doing. I just remember that at first it was literally for a minute. Then it became two and it became three. I wouldn't hear from him for a month or two. And the next thing I know, he'd be running more leadership seminars at his own workplace, up-leveling his leadership skills with his employees, showing them what dedication and determination and discipline could do for somebody and becoming somebody that they could just visually watch transform their lives. Didn't have to go and tell them every little thing he was doing. They were literally seeing things differently because of what they were seeing him do. And ultimately... It just it benefited them because the next thing you know, they're talking more about it. And next thing, everybody's up-leveling their lives just by visually seeing him do it for himself. Now, how do you think that first person did? Wanting to change 17 things in one day versus the other person, the tribal member, who had an amazing conversation with me. I asked a lot of great questions. We really got down into the nitty-gritty of it, and he came up with his own strategy, and he went off and one minute at a time increased his life. Who do you think ultimately met their goal? I have a feeling most of you already know where I'm going with this. It was the person who started to do one minute at a time. We think change happens with these gigantic leaps across the Grand Canyon. It's baby steps. It's baby steps that one day we turn around and we think we're one gigantic step, but they weren't. They were baby steps. I'm in the CRSS program here in Alabama, and that's what one of the the trainers was saying today. We were going through a class on documentation, which isn't the most exciting class, but certainly it's an important topic to learn more about. And that was one of the things she finished up the course saying was that, that great change is done in baby steps, not gigantic leaps. Founder of the tribe comes and asks me some questions, ultimately decides he's going to do these things with baby steps, succeeds, hits his number, sends me a picture of the scale being the number he had told me he was going to achieve this year. He achieved it before summer even got here. Meanwhile, other person did not achieve theirs, did not, didn't, didn't even keep up with it because he tried to change too many things at once. And if you've got 10 things that you have to accomplish today in order to feel like today was a win versus just doing something for one minute, if any one of those other, if any one of those 10 have a hiccup, if any one of those 10 are unaccomplishable, if any of those 10 don't find themselves on your to-do list that day, then all of a sudden the entire house of cards collapses because all 10 of those things were connected to be what you could visually see your success being. Versus today, I will do something active for one minute. Today, I will read one minute about leadership. Today, I will do one thing that's proactive about leadership at work with one of my employees. One minute. One minute becomes two, becomes three. This becomes a way of life versus trying to stack 10 things on top of each other and expecting every single day to have time to have prioritization for those 10 things. We have talked about this so much for me to actually have two different people. One, follow what I've been talking about because he's in the tribe and he's been paying attention versus another leadership at the executive level to come up with all these grandiose things that he's going to do and not be able to achieve them. It, it, was, it was very much a reminder that this baby step, this one step at a time thing, it matters. It matters. 
So if you give up what you want most for what you want now, right, then you're sacrificing. Are you sacrificing for what you want? Because if you're not, then what you want becomes a sacrifice. And if you heard that story for the way I meant it to be heard, which I get isn't always possible because I talk a lot, then let me make it very clear. If you make it so all you have to do is one minute, two minutes, three minutes of something towards your goal, it's your, how, how is one to three minutes of your life, of your day, feel like a sacrifice? It's one minute. Turn on your iPhone, flip open the timer, hit start, and do something for one minute. Pick up your phone, be like, boom, chakalaka. It won't take your brain very long for one minute not to be enough. We've talked about this. This is hedonistic adaptation. Eventually, one minute's not going to seem like enough. Or you're already jumping rope, so you're like, well, what's my minute? Oh, I'm just do another minute. Do another minute. Before you know it, you're jumping rope for 10 minutes. So number three on my list, create the world you want to live around you. You want to live in a world where people care about leadership? You want to live in a world where people understand how impactful sobriety and recovery can be on a person? Do you want to live in a world where we no longer stigmatize addiction? We no longer stigmatize sobriety and recovery? Then create that world around you. Start living in that world that releases the stigmatizing language. Don't talk down about somebody else who's doing something in their life, whether it's alcohol and drug related or not. Because not too long ago, you were on the other side of that of, of, of that disgust. Ugh, I cannot believe they live their life that way. You once led your life in a way, or you might still be living your life in a way where people are like, I can't believe they're living their life like that. Don't they know better? If it was just about knowing better, then there wouldn't be no problems in this world. It was, oh, I, I know better than to walk across the street while looking down at my phone. I know better than to speed through an intersection. I know better than to scream at my partner. I know better than to show up late to work. I know better than to, than to you know, not work hard enough to have the money I want and then I'm putting everything on credit cards. We all know these things, but we still do them. It's not just about knowing better. It's about understanding what it is you're really trying to achieve and then not sacrificing that. Number four on my list is tomorrow's done. Learn from it, release it, and bring on today. All right, I don't always do this greatly. I know, sometimes I'm not drinking my own Kool-Aid. I know, shock, I'm human. I'm human. Tomorrow is done. Learn from it, release it, bring on today. Oh, I don't. I like to hold on to grudges, especially with my girlfriend. Especially. I like to hold on to grudges. I like to create stories in my head. Oh, hold on. What am I going? Okay, let's do four and five together. Tomorrow's done. Learn from it. Release it. Bring on today. Number five is I have wasted more time creating bullshit stories and scenarios in my head and trying to figure out how to solve them than I care about, than I care to admit. So let me reread, let me reread that so that you can really take that one in. I have wasted more time creating bullshit stories and scenarios in my head and then trying to figure out how to solve them than I care to admit. So I like to hold on to, for some reason, I hold on to these grudges, right? It's, it's, it, there's, I know it's not for some reason. I, I've got these issues with my parents from my childhood that I'm still healing myself through and working on, right? Where they wouldn't hear me. They didn't, they didn't give me the emotional love or the physical connection that I needed in the moment. So I'd lash out and I'd hide in my room and I'd learn or I'd play video games. And, you know, I don't purposely skip dinner and say I wasn't hungry just because I wanted them to miss me at the dinner table because, you know, I came home from school and you didn't ask how my day was. 
I would hold on to these little grudges and I still do it as an adult, right? And now I'm trying to step into a world. I'm not trying. I'm actively working on. I do not like the word try. Certain times it just seems like a... It's like, well, I'm trying to trying to make a change. It's like Yoda said, you you do or do not. You do not, there is no try. So I'm working on releasing these grudges and being like, okay, sometimes there's a miscommunication. Sometimes they didn't hear me. Sometimes she's she's got her own life going on in her own head, right? She's got her own thoughts that she's contending with. She's got her own way of seeing the way the world the way it is in her head, not the way that it is. Right, we both got different viewpoints of what the world is happening in our own minds. They're not going to connect 100% all the time. So rather than saying tomorrow is done, I'm like, oh no, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to be pissed off about this, and then I'm not. Um, then I'm purposefully not going to talk about it when I could be. I'm on purposely going to let perfect opportunities and I'm doing perfect in air quotes pass by where I could have been like, you know, something happened the other day, and it's just feeling a little bit different about it, and I'd like to bring it up and have a quick conversation about it. Nope, nope. Instead, I don't bring it up. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Squeeze it. Squeeze the life out of it if I have to. I waste more time creating these bullshit stories and scenarios in my head rather than just communicating what it is I'm feeling in the moment. I understand. I did not have my emotional needs met as a child, so therefore I isolate. I shut down. I can... I can I can spout off. I can have these quick little temper tantrums for like ten seconds. I get it. This is this stems from my childhood and emotional trauma, and it's something that I actively work to heal through. I ask myself, why am I doing it? I journal. I write. I read. I think. I create podcasts about it. I actively am working on it. If you find yourself creating these bullshit scenarios and stories in your head, and then trying to figure out how to solve them when they're not even really happening, it's like. It's like trying to write your own choose-your-own-adventure book in your head. At some point, you're just going to lose track of all the different threads that you've started. And then for me, they as soon as the whole stack falls, so I've got this scenario of she gave me side-eye in the kitchen or she walked by without saying hello when she got off the phone. And then I start creating all these scenarios in my head. So then I start trying to solve all these scenarios in my head. But I'm not writing them down. I'm just creating it all in my head. Well, you can your brain can only hold so much data before all of a sudden it's like somebody just knocked the bottom card out and the whole thing collapses. So when the whole thing finally collapses, then I get this rush of anxiety and stress because uh, all these things that I have thought I solved are no longer the 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 answers no longer in my head because I had tried to have so many answers at once that I couldn't keep track of them. And then I get this rush of anxiety, this rush of stress, because now all of a sudden I don't have all of these solutions for problems. Check this out, guys. Check this out. Problems that don't even fucking exist. <laughs> it's not, that's not even true. None of this stuff was even happening. <laughs> I just, right? That somebody, somebody looks at you at the gym, the, the, your partner in the house gets off the phone and, and you know, instead of walking by and, and smiling at you, right, they look down at the ground and they walk right by you in the hallway and all of a sudden you start creating all these scenarios in the head for a problem. It could have just been like, hey, everything cool? Everything good? Oh, yeah, you know, I just found out boss at work did this or coworker did that or I don't know that it's going to rain at five o'clock and I really wanted to go for a walk. I mean, it could be so many different things. But instead, I get in my head trying to solve scenarios that don't actually exist. So if you're doing that, let's all be mindful about that together. 
So another one, number six, fearing rejection is creating a story in your head and then letting the imagination dictate your actions. So four, five, and six really go well together, right? Tomorrow's done. Learn from it. Release it. Bring on today. Number five is I've wasted more time creating bullshit stories and scenarios in my head and trying to figure out how to solve them than I care to admit. Number six ties them all together because now we have this fear of rejection, right? So you created these stories in your head, right? So you're creating stories you didn't release tomorrow or you, you, know, you didn't, uh, tom- tomorrow, tomorrow is not, I've been sitting here saying tomorrow and the whole time I'm, I should be saying yesterday. This is what happens whenever your brain is firing so fast. Tomorrow is done. Tomorrow's not done. <laughs> I'm not going to go back and reshoot this episode, uh, even though I realize that I've been doing this all time. Yesterday is done. Tomorrow is done. Yes, the future is already written. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think thousands of you just sort of, just did thousands of you just give side eye to me through the microphone? Awesome. I love you for that. So um, yesterday is done. Oh my goodness. I did this exact same uh, list for the College Success Habits show. So those people think I'm just as ridiculous as you do right now. <laughs> I'm not going to go back and reshoot that one either. Um, so yesterday's done, guys. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Although, what is it that uh, the tr- the trance song says? Tomorrow never comes. So maybe tomorrow is done because by the time tomorrow gets here, it's today. <sighs> you really can't save that one, can I? Moving on. Number six, fearing rejection is creating a story in your head and then letting your imagination dictate your actions. So we get it. Yesterday's done. We're learning from it. We're releasing it. We're bringing it on today. So now um, I've wasted more time creating these bullshit stories and scenarios, and then I try to solve them in my head. And right. So then I have this fear of rejection. And it's in, so this fear of rejection, right? Girlfriend doesn't look at me as she walks out um, from outside to inside and just passes me by while I'm standing in the kitchen eating dinner. Whatever bullshit scenario I could, right? Although, no, that actually did happen. All right, so now I have this fear of rejection. Oh, my God, she's mad at me. Oh, my God, I did something wrong. Should I not be eating this? Should I not be standing in the kitchen eating over the sink? Does she not like the YouTube TV playing on the phone? Should I not be watching baseball? Should I not be alive? Should I not be breathing? Maybe I should just completely question my existence on this planet because somebody didn't look at me in the eyes and smile as they walked by me. Oh, my God, what is going on? Fearing rejection is creating a story in your head and then letting your imagination dictate your actions. Right, so you create this fear of rejection in your head. Right, you you want to go to a meeting, you want to open yourself up, you want to tell these people what you're going through, but you fear being rejected. You fear saying something that might trigger somebody else. You fear whatever you fear, and it, and it comes to you at this form of rejection. I said this thing, and somehow this other person told me afterwards that it triggered them. You don't control somebody else's triggers; they control their own triggers. You have to t- talk about things that help you heal. That's why we go into these scenarios. If, if, if something's triggering them, great. It's an opportunity for you both to heal together. But to mute yourself out of a fear of saying something that may or may not activate somebody else's you know, negative trauma, traumatic experiences is not something that you could possibly figure out. So you're creating this scenario in your head and then letting your imagination dictate your actions. Then you don't actually get out what you want to get out This other person doesn't actually get to experience this trigger cue activation, which thus helps them heal from it. And next thing you know, like both of you have missed out on an amazing opportunity. 
So fearing rejection is creating these stories in your head. You fear being rejected by sobriety or you fear getting rejected by, you know, your sponsor. If you tell them, I've had multiple clients tell me, I just didn't want to admit to you that I wasn't as far along as as I think you had hoped I'd be. I, (laughs) I hope that you all are just happy or content or feeling some level of accomplishment with what you're doing each and every day. For those of you still using, if you were using seven times a day and now you're only using six times a day, that's something to celebrate. That's a step in the right direction, right? If you've made it to eight months without drinking, but yet you still haven't gone to any meetings and you still don't feel like you're healing your trauma, you still have made it eight months without being intoxicated. And you're still doing, and you're still, uh, you still have all this stuff that you definitely know you want to heal through and you haven't been able to touch it because you work so much, but you've been sober for eight months. It's huge. It's a celebration. What are you, what rejection are you choosing to, to make up in your mind? Be open, be honest. Whether it's with me, whether it's with your family members, your friends, other people in your groups, your meetings, your tribes, whatever you're creating in your world, just admit. If somebody rejects it, if somebody's like, you know what, I don't have time for this right now, or I don't want to hear that, or that's what you said last week, okay, then that's an opportunity to have a deeper conversation. I get it. I know I've said this before. I'm just, you know, I, I, I love you and I care about you and I just want you to know what I'm going through over here. I'm not saying you have to do anything. I'm just letting you know what I'm working through over here. If you would like to have a deeper conversation about it, by all means, I'm more than open to that. I'm just letting you know what I'm doing. You see somebody that you'd like to meet at a meeting or, or across the room or at a restaurant or at a gathering at a concert at something in your town. It's that hesitation it's that hesitation that causes you to start creating these scenarios. Number seven is not every decision I've made has played out the way that I thought it would. And it wasn't wasted time. It was experience points. Right? So you see somebody at an event and you want to go say hi to them because you want to make a new friend. You want to make a new acquaintance. You want to find them attractive, whatever it might be. And that the moment you hesitate, it's in that hesitation that you start creating these stories. It may not go the way that you thought it would. It may not go the way that you hope it will. But it's experience points. There's a great story about this guy. I think he wrote a book or he did a documentary on uh, being told no a thousand times. He was so afraid of rejection, he just decided he was going to be told no a thousand times. So he just started going up to people and asking them questions, seeking the no. Hey, will you give me a thousand bucks? Hey, will you let me, you know, will you drive me to the airport? Hey, blah, blah, blah. And you get a thousand no's and he was able to get over his fear of rejection. That may not be something you're willing to step into, but certainly understand that if you're fearing some level of rejection, right, that not everything that you decide to do is going to play out the way that you think it will or hope it will. But it's not a waste of time, it's experience points. Like AJR, the band says, a hundred bad days make a hundred good stories. Things will not always play out the way that you want them to. Not every decision is, is actually in your best interest. But in the moment, it's what you decided to do. Do it, learn from it, release it, and bring on today. Because remember, yesterday is done, and apparently tomorrow never comes. (laughs) Number eight, waiting a year or two to feel ready is the hesitation that I will one day look back on and wonder why. I didn't start the podcast on day one. I really wish I would have, even though I had no clue what sobriety and recovery was going to be like. And who knows how many people would have found the show and been like, this dude's an idiot. 
he's like on day three. What the hell is he even doing a podcast for? But you know, I'll tell you what, it would have been certainly really, really, really cool to have my voice recorded talking about, you know, my second meeting or, you know, making my first sober friend or having people who are uh, heavy users reject me and no longer want to hang out with me because of my using. And, or the first time I, you know, somebody called me out for not drinking and started asking me why at a party, it would have been really cool to have been able to share those stories as they were happening. Cause I don't even remember them now. I will say this, that, um, recently we were at a restaurant and um, the bartenders were talking about all these cool drinks that they can make and cool places to have drinks. And uh girlfriend was just like, Oh yeah, he doesn't drink. And I don't mind people knowing that at all. And immediately, of course, both bartenders looked over at me and <laughs> without even any hesitation, I never said this before, but it came out just so fluidly. I was like, yeah, it turns out I was only allotted so many days to be drunk in my life, and I did not find out until the very last day. (laughs) I just shrugged. I was like, so well, I just don't drink anymore. (laughs) And it just, I mean, it came out so fluidly. It was like, yep, I was only allotted so many days to drink, and I didn't find out until the last day. And it's, you know, and I've used it a couple more times since then because I just love it. And people look over, I'm like, yep, turns out I was only allotted so many days to drink. And I didn't find out till my last day. And so it's, you know, because to me, it's just like, yeah, I just, I just don't. I don't need to tell them more of the story. I don't need to give them all my reasons and stuff. I just make it like, yep, I was only allotted so many. Apparently, I was only allotted 17,777 and I did not find out until day 17,776. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, going back to, uh, you know, just waiting a year or two, the, the hesitation, I look back and I really wish I had started both my podcasts on day one of sobriety and recovery. And maybe some of those episodes would have had been taken down or some of them would have been, you know, moved, or maybe that would have caused people to tune into the show and love it more or not like it at all. I have no idea. But for me, myself and I, I really wish I'd have recorded the, those first two years of experiences. Um, some of them are recorded as uh, the podcast, Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. And uh, I launched that right after my five months sober. And I did an episode on 500 days of being sober. But uh, again, would have been really cool if I had just documented the whole thing. And again, that's the hesitation I look back on now and wonder why. Why did I wait? Number nine, everything happens for a reason and at the perfect timing. Okay, so this is what I wrote. The everything happens for a reason and at the perfect time thing. Yeah, that's cool and all. But sometimes, shit, man. Just get the fuck up and do that thing. <laughs> That's literally what I wrote, guys and gals and everybody. Uh, the everything happens for a reason, and the it's all you know. Oh, it's it's the perfect time. You know, it just happened at the perfect time. Oh, you know, everything happens for a reason. Oh, it just happened at the perfect time. Don't worry. It wasn't supposed to happen earlier. It happened right now, and now's the perfect time. That's cool and all, and I'm not saying that I won't subscribe to that here and there, but sometimes I'm just like, fuck that. Just get up and go do the damn thing. If it's something I can control, then I'm just going to get up and go do the damn thing. Is it calling up addiction recovery centers and introducing them to me? Is it co- contacting publishers and finding one that's that's all about uh, publishing books like mine? Like whatever it might be, right? If it's something I can control, then it's just time to get up and do the damn thing. Hell, J.K. Rawlings called up 50 publishing houses until somebody finally said yes, right? So I could at least got 51 in me. I mean, if J.K. Rawlings, this is Harry Potter, it's like a billion-dollar franchise now. And she had to basically beg somebody to even care to read the manuscript. So 
I get it. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, it's it's divine timing. Those are things I, I absolutely have embraced, especially whenever it's other people who might control the outcome, right? If you want a, a raise at the office, if you want a better communication with somebody in your family, if you want your partner to, you know, blah, 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 whatever it might be. If there's another human involved, then yeah, you, you only have so much control, which is very little, mind you, over somebody else's behaviors, actions, thoughts, and feelings. It's They are going to do whatever they're going to do, and you can influence it as best as you can, but ultimately they're going to do what they feel compelled to do. It's why I call myself more of an inspirational speaker than a motivational speaker. I can inspire you to feel compelled to do something, but I cannot motivate you to do it. Motivation to me is internal. Inspiration is external. Right, somebody you hear somebody's story and you're like, man, that's inspiring. I want to go off and do that. It's that internal motivation that gets you to actually go do it. It's why when people leave um, conferences, like you know, that get them pumped up, they're like, I'm so motivated, I can't wait to do it. You are so amazing. You've got me so motivated. Well, they've got you inspired. The motivation's internal, and I think if more of us realize that people inspire us, but we motivate our our own selves, then I think we'd be able to hold on to that motivation. But the further we get from that time that that person inspired us, uh, and because so many people label that as motivation, then the further we get away from that person who we think motivated us, the more that seems to dissipate. Well, the inspiration can always be found. You can go find their story. You can go find their video. You can come back and listen to another one of my podcasts that you love. The inspiration is always there because you can hear their voice again. The motivation's always been inside of you. And if it's always inside of you, then it can't dissipate. You just need to reignite it. And if going back and listening or reading or experiencing something from that person can reignite that inspiration, then you can self-motivate. I've been practicing how to be a jump rope um, person. And I came across this woman called uh, Lauren Jumps on social media. And there'll be times, especially with the move and everything that's been happening lately, where I haven't been able to pick up the jump rope in a couple days. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just not feeling motivated. It's just, whatever, I'll just, I'll jump rope again tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes another day and another day and another day and another day. Hey, did you notice right there? I I knew what tomorrow was. I knew what tomorrow was. Um, (laughs) But I'll tell you one of the things I know, because I, because I believe inspiration is external and motivation is internal. I'll tell you what, all I had to do is just go find her on uh, Instagram or TikTok, Lauren Jumps. And there's a couple other I follow, but she's really the one that, that introduced me to this whole idea. I'll go watch a few minutes of her videos and boom, I'm inspired. I'm like, oh my God, that, that's so awesome. I want to, and I can't do half the crap she does. I can't hardly do any of it. I'm still just trying to jump rope for a minute straight. And then I'm sort of, you know, I'm jumping my feet backwards and forwards. I'm trying to get the boxers jumped down. I'm, right now I'm pacing in my office as I shoot the podcast. So I'm actually mimicking these movements right now. And, and then I, I'm doing this thing where, you know, feet land in the middle and that's when the rope goes underneath you. And then while the rope's coming around, I jump my legs out and then I jump them back in and then I jump them forward and back backward and forward and backward and out and in and out and in. I'm literally doing this right now as I tell you this. And when I think I've lost the motivation to learn how to do this trick jump roping stuff, um, I just go watch a couple minutes of videos. She re-inspires me and then I'm motivated to immediately pick up the jump rope and go outside. And I'll tell you what, 15, 20 minutes of practicing this stuff a day, you would be amazed. Uh, I'm amazed at least. I don't know what you would be amazed by, but I am amazed at how fast I pick up some of this footwork. 
the jumping backwards and forwards and, you know, trying to hop on one foot and things like that. Like just a good solid 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes every day because it does cause the Achilles heel and some things like that to start aching when you haven't done it very much. Um, but it's ama- I'm amazed at how fast I'm able to pick up some of this stuff. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it is. Right, so when you're not feeling motivated, go find that thing that inspired you to begin with. Motivation's internal. So this whole idea that everything happens at a divine timing and happens for a reason, sure. If somebody else is involved, then then there's more of my willingness to embrace that. But if I'm the one who's controlling my behavior and my actions, and it's a and it's all a matter of me just picking up the damn jump rope and going outside and practicing for 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. There's none of this divine timing, oh, it happens for a reason nonsense. It's just get get your damn ass off off the couch, leave the freaking office, and go outside and jump around for 20 minutes. Number 10, and we'll get you out of here on this. I know, it's only almost been an hour. I don't know everything. I don't. I don't know everything. I can't. It's not possible. I'm not a computer. As much as I would love to be able to plug the internet into my brain, I actually think it would be a bummer if I knew everything. Because then what the hell would motivate me to, like, right? Where would I find that motivation inside me to learn? What would inspire me to go learn more? Like, there's sometimes I'm like, God, I just wish the internet was in my brain and I just knew everything. But it's like, I get so much enthusiasm out of learning new things and applying new things and turning new things into habits and releasing undesirable habits. Like, I get such a kick out of growing. I think it would severely... I think it would severely bum me out if I had everything in my brain. I really do. I think I really would. So I can't know everything. I don't want to know everything. I want there to be things I don't know to inspire me to go learn and to self-motivate myself to follow through. So it's okay I don't know everything. I can't. But only my ego is getting pissed off about that. And fuck that dude. So that's what I wrote. I don't know everything. I can't. That's okay. Only my ego gets pissed about that and fuck that dude. Screw the ego. That jerk is what got me into this scenario to begin with. All of them. My ego, my fear of rejection, my fear of this, my fear of that, my ego as a child because mommy and daddy didn't love me enough and they didn't ask me the right questions or you know they, they separated me from my biological family or I got separated from my other relatives or they made us move and I had to make new friends and I was always the new kid and I got picked on and bullied a lot. That was a bunch of ego stuff. And I get as a child, child I didn't know how to compartmentalize this stuff. I didn't know how to heal through it as it was happening. I wasn't being raised by emotional parents who understood how to how to nurture a child through all these emotions. They 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 didn't they didn't have the emotional intelligence one on one book in their hand any more than I did. Right, but it's my ego as an adult that that feels rejection. It's my ego as an adult that creates these scenarios and tries to solve them all, so I can seem like I'm super smart and I've got all the answers, and I don't. I'm learning. I might be one page ahead of some of y'all. I might be one page behind some of y'all. I might be a year or two deeper into my sobriety recovery, or you might have 30 more on me. But when when I realize that no one's above or below anyone, nobody's on a pedestal here, that we're all equal. We're just at different stages of our lives. I'm able to actually be vulnerable on this microphone with you all. I'm able to laugh off that I utilize the word tomorrow 15 times instead of the word yesterday. 
Because when I wrote this out, I did I, I, whatever I wrote. I was like, nope, this is it. Jesse wrote it. Jesse believes it. So I didn't even bother to to notice that. My brain deleted and distorted and right delete, distort, generalize. It just deleted the word what tomorrow really was. In my head, I was saying tomorrow. I really meant yesterday. Right, but I don't know everything. My ego could take a hit and say, "I'm going to go back and I'm going to reshoot this whole thing." But to me, I want to be vulnerable. I want to be normal. I want to be real. I've had a lot of tough times this year, a lot. In fact, every, every pr- pretty much from last year's birthday to this year's birthday has been very tumultuous. I was going through a lot of emotional stuff. I didn't know how to emotionally connect and be vulnerable with the girlfriend. I didn't know how to connect with her and communicate with her the way I wanted. I'd create scenarios and then we'd get into arguments and I didn't know how to solve them. So I would shut down. I would run away into the office. And I've created some amazing things for my business. I've opened up a world uh, to the tribe and the hub. And I've spoken at tons of places and I've done great things in regards to working on my career and my mental aspect of my life. But my emotions still have so much more to go. So much more to go. Releasing this fear of rejection, right? Understanding that it's all just experience points. Creating the world I want to live in around me right now today. Right? Not giving up what I want most for what I want now. Right? Not sacrificing for what I for for, for not sacrificing what I want for ultimately that could become what I sacrifice. Understanding that not every decision I make is going to play out the way that I thought it would. I can launch a product. I can write a book. I can launch a podcast, a, a, a book, a blog post. I can go speak somewhere and I could have the best intentions and the information could just come out as a bunch of bluey. And I can walk out of there being like, I cannot believe I just did that. But that was just a travesty of justice. Like, oh my goodness, what in the hell was I talking about? But then I think about how many athletes go out there and they throw up a four-interception game or they miss 17 shots or they strike out 16 times in two games. And I'm like, man, you know, even, even the best get off of the stage and they're like, they're like, holy shit, what the hell did I just do? I did stand-up for a period of time in Los Angeles and improvisation uh, with Second City and I did some, you know, some stand-up comedy there while I was doing the improv stuff. And there'd be times I'd get off the stage and I'd auctioned off my set. Or I just completely bombed it and rambled for like three to five minutes. And I was like, holy shit, that was just, that was disgusting. What on earth? Right? But then you'd have those other, those other times you get off the stage and like, I just tore that up. I just tore it up. But you never would have had the tearing it up moment if you would have stopped after the, I can't believe I just did that moment. That's how I feel. When I have the, I can't just believe I did that moment, then I think about, okay, good. What can I learn from it? That was yesterday. Let's learn from it, release it, and let's bring on today. Not every podcast is going to be a home run. Not everything I write is going to be a grand slam. Not everything that I do is going to be the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Sometimes you're going to step back on the one-yard line and you're going to throw the ball when you should have handed it off. And you're going to have to live with that decision for the rest of your life. But I would rather pick myself up off the ground and realize that there's always another game than just completely stop. I want you all to be able to find that inside yourself as well. And if I can somehow inspire you and bring that to light and show you that, look, we all suffer. We all have suffering. We all have vulnerable moments whenever the person we're trying to be vulnerable in front of, we're not trying. We are actually being vulnerable and they are not receiving it. That can hurt. But then we, you know what? That's, that's a four interception game. 
Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're not in the place to receive what you what you want to share, what you are currently sharing. They're just not in that spot in that moment, but it doesn't mean that they won't be there tomorrow. It's amazing. And there are going to be times where I have to look back and I say, have I been completely vulnerable with you guys all the time? Sometimes I'm not. Because my ego says, no, you've got to put on this picture of perfection or this at least this picture of having it together. And that's that ego. And that's the ego that led me to drink and use and all this other stuff. And then, then there's a part of me like that's on the microphone right now that says, man, this has been a tough, tough year. June 15th of 2021 to June 15th of 2022 was tough. It was so tough. From, you know, stepping into a really long-term relationship and not knowing how to communicate and so sabotaging at every step, um, all the way up to deciding to move to Huntsville, coming out here, having the transition be super difficult, working through the relationship, bonding with the family, establishing myself and my career and my business out here. Not to mention there was pandemic this and that and all this other stuff going on. All right, so there's all the societal stuff. It's like, you know, you sort of like, it's like that Will Ferrell meme I post on Instagram where it's like the whole world's on fire and Will Ferrell's yelling, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sober, great to be here. <laughs> Some days that was all I could hold on to. It was like, man, you know what? At least I'm experiencing this sober. Whatever happens after this. It's, it's icing on the cake because at least I'm experiencing this all sober. For those of you who are still looking for that to be your default, to just being able to find comfort and contentment in being sober today, I'm rooting for you. I hope that these shows are helping. I hope that you've got local support. I hope that you're journaling or meditating or working out or eating right or whatever it is, just get up off the damn couch. It's you and only you who's going to be able to motivate yourself to this. I can do as much as possible on this microphone, inspiring you maybe with my thumbs when we text or tweet or email, but ultimately it's you each and every day that's inside your head deciding what it is you're going to do. I want for you to have your highest potential achieved. I want you to be able to look in the mirror and say, I did this. And you did. Some days you look in the mirror and you look at your life and you're like, fuck, this this day did not go right. You did that just as much as you do the good. So give yourself credit for coming back on the drinking one day. Or give yourself credit for having a tough conversation on month 14 of sobriety and recovery. Or give yourself credit for not screaming at your boss or yelling at your kids whenever you were super stressed out. And whenever you act or behave in a less desirable way, have the self-awareness to step back and ask yourself, what was going on in that moment? When, when, when was this triggered in me? Where can I seek to behave in a more desirable way in the future? What will I do the next time that something like this similarly happens? And how will I be, be more adept at handling the scenario, the situation? These are questions I ask myself all day, every day. That's a pretty damn good spot for a, for a universal choir qualifier. Every day. I'm asking myself, okay, what am I doing? Is this really what I want to be doing? Is this the best thing for me to be doing right now? And sometimes I look back on it, I'm like, fuck, what the hell was I doing from January to freaking April in Huntsville? It's like I feel like I was every day I was getting up and 
put, turn on the computer and bust in my ass, but I don't really feel like I was getting anywhere. But it was experience points, and it mattered. And it, and it got me to wherever it got me. But those experience points I'm utilizing today whether I realize it or not. Maybe there's decisions I made four or five months ago I don't even realize I made that are causing me to behave differently now. Because of all the things that happen on all the days, I can't possibly remember them all. But unconsciously, they're they are affecting me. Unconsciously, they are motivating me in a certain direction. I turn to others for inspiration just as much as you all might turn toward me or to somebody else or in your family, whoever. We all have figures in our lives that we look for. We look toward for inspiration. When you all reach out to me and let me know the depths of your journey and what's going on in your lives, you inspire me just as much as I have inspired you. And I thank you all for being a member of the From Sobriety to Recovery movement, for stepping into this world knowing that none of us have all the answers, but boy, I'll tell you what, it is a hell of a lot better trying to figure it all out sober than it ever was drunk. I'll post this list uh, that I came up with into the show notes so you can go back and read over it. I will put little uh, stars or ampersands for the cuss words because, you know, I don't want to type out profanity, but I'll say it all the time. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life, of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine, Glow On, happy 46th birthday to me. Here's to my 47th trip around the sun. May it be, may it be an experience as the blessing that it is. Because after my 40th, I did not think I'd be here. Love y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 